awesome time. See you Wednesday. That's right. Yeah, we're super excited about what the Lord's doing in this church. We're excited for the future of our student ministry. I was out at High Hill Camp, and we have some exciting news to share with you. We had several of our kids and adults baptized this week. So we had, uh, yeah, Gabby Gillahan and Mackenzie, Emma Monsalvo, and Joey Schrick. And then Joey Schrick's grandparents, Tom and Kathy Schrick, were baptized out there as well. Just amazing. So happy about what the Lord's doing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Trish King was baptized, and I wanted to let you know that we're just here to help everyone get connected to God and each other, to do the next right thing that God's put on your heart to do. So if you feel like today is the day you need to do something, just stick around and talk with us. We want to help you move closer to God, get connected with the people around you, uh, bring your friends and neighbors to be a part of what God's doing here. It's fantastic. I'm really thankful. Fourth of July, it just reminds me of how much, the, as our country, we have to be grateful for. I know some of you join us. We honestly sometimes have people from other countries join us, but here in the United States today, we celebrate freedom. I'm thankful for a country that gave us and gave the world things like Heinz ketchup, Mountain Dew, a selfie of the planet from the moon, Lots of good things, and it just, that freedom is so important, and as we worship together, it just reminds me the little freedom we have is a glimpse of the eternal freedom that Jesus offers us. So that's why without uh, any reservations at all, I say to you, the best thing you could ever do with your life is to submit to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to let him lead your life, forgive you of your sins, transform your life, help you become something you never could be on your own, give you hope for your eternity, and uh, he just transforms lives. That's why we've been in this message series. That's what Jesus said. We're just looking at things that he taught, things he said. We, we want to emulate that. Today we're going to be in Matthew 15, if you want to take a Bible and find it. This is an interesting story. It's a little bit of an awkward story about an encounter between Jesus and a needy mom. And I want to show you what happens there. It may not be quite what we think when we first read it. Let me just read it for you. Go ahead and find Matthew 15 while I'm reading. It'll be on the screen as well. It says, then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to Jesus pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away. They said, she's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was only sent to God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and she worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, please help me. And Jesus responded, it's not right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, well, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Is this me or is this a little awkward? On so many levels, right? Come on, let's just admit it. It's in the Bible, but, and it's Jesus. Did he really ignore her? Was he really not going to talk to her? Was it, I don't know, because she was uh, the wrong race? Was it because she was a woman? Uh, did he just call her a dog in this story? Is, in other words, is Jesus a racist, misogynistic jerk? I'm just saying what everybody thinks when they first read this. There is something to, to this story that just makes us uncomfortable. I want to go through it. And uh, there's a, a lot of interesting takes on this story. So part of my job as a pastor, I try to take the Bible and understand it for myself and for us and explain it because it's 2,000 years since that story happened. 
But there are some interesting takes out there today among other people who do what I do and all across the spectrum of how to interpret this story. There are some uh, TikTok theologians who have really embraced this story recently. And you're going like, TikTok theologians, is that a thing? Yeah, social media theologians is a thing. There's lots of people from all different perspectives trying to interpret the Bible for people on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter and anywhere you want to look. I have just one example pulled up here. I'm going to just show you just a little bit of one person's take. This is Reverend Brandon. And we're not going to show you the whole thing. I just want you to get a little taste of his. his take on this story. Here's Reverend Brandon. In Mark chapter 7, there's the account of the Seraphonician woman, a woman who is Syrian and Greek, both of which there were strong biases against within the Jewish community. And she comes to ask Jesus to heal her daughter who's possessed by a demon. And what is Jesus's response? He says, it's not good for me to give the children's food, meaning the children of Israel's food, to dogs. He calls her a dog. And Brandon goes on, and I'm not putting this up to make fun of Brandon or to judge him. I don't agree with Brandon necessarily, but I wanted you to hear his perspective. What I didn't show you is Brandon goes on to say that this woman spoke truth to power, that she had to educate Jesus, that he repented of his racism, and because she was so persistent in teaching Jesus, being a human being, he had to learn some things too, that he learned the lesson, and then from that point forward, he was more sensitive to women and to uh, people who were of other ethnicities other than his own. So I kind of, I, not, not again, I just, that's, that's one way of looking at this story that I wanted you to hear. Let me just go ahead and give you another, uh, this is a Twitter theologian, this is Bridget Rivera. She takes the opposite view. She says, newsflash, racist Jesus isn't a thing. Literally every time someone tries to twist this story into a, a story about racist Jesus, actual biblical scholars everywhere do a face palm because this claim is so off base, you can literally do a Google search to figure out how wrong you are. So. You have Reverend Brandon who says Jesus needed to learn a thing or two. She spoke truth to power. You've got Bridget who's saying that is absolutely a horrible take on this. And so where's the truth? Let me just point you to something that C.S. Lewis, the philosopher and the author, wrote Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion's Witch in the Wardrobe, Mere Christianity. He said this several years ago. A great many of the ideas about God, which are trotted out as novelties today, are simply the ones which real theologians tried centuries ago and rejected. Uh, or as the, the current meme says, heresy, uh, that special moment when you have a greater spiritual insight than all the apostles, the disciples, the early church fathers, because you have a Bible that they wrote, copied, compiled, and gave to you. So again, I'm not trying to judge or throw rocks here, but what really was going on here? Was Jesus a guy who needed to be taught a few lessons by some foreign woman? Did there possibly something else going on here? And another layer that we're missing? Let's study this out. Here's my take on this. I, I, I wanted to show you this because I, want, I'm not, I think that we should have discussions about things and listen to people we don't agree with, or maybe you do agree with it. I just want to try to keep you to keep an open mind, and let's just look at this again with a fresh perspective. I would encourage you in the same way you probably don't want to go to Dr. Google for your medical advice. You should probably not go to, to Pastor TikTok for your theology, but if you do, I could point you to some people that, that are pretty decent at understanding the Bible, but let's, let's go ahead and go back again and look at this freshly and just see, is there maybe a different story here? Let's listen, first of all, to what the Apostle Paul thought about Jesus as we think about him and what happened that day. This is out of 1 Corinthians 1.24. It says, to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
So says a Jewish man who was one of Jesus' closest followers, a guy who actually used to persecute and kill Christians until he became one. He says that Jesus is for Jews and Gentiles. Now let's go back to Matthew who wrote this gospel. Matthew was actually an eyewitness to that story that day. He was there. He was one of Jesus' 12 apostles. So what he's doing in his gospel now is writing about an event that happened decades earlier from his memory and he's describing what happened. Now we need to understand why Matthew was writing when he did and why he wrote a gospel at all. He was a a Jew writing to other Jews who were either Christians or interested in becoming Christians, and he's trying to persuade them that Jesus is for everyone, first of all Jews, but also Gentiles. Then we take the Gospel of Mark, which also tells this story. Now, Mark wasn't probably there because on this trip, when Jesus went north out of Galilee, uh, he only took his disciples with him, and Mark was probably too young at that point. But Mark wrote his Gospel based on the recollections of his uncle, who was the Apostle Peter. So Peter was there that day. He was also an eyewitness. He recounted what he heard and saw that day to his nephew, Mark, who wrote his gospel. Here's what's interesting. Do you know who Mark wrote his gospel to? Us. Mark wrote to Gentiles who were either Christians or interested in becoming Christians, and he was trying to persuade them that Jesus was a Messiah, a Savior for even Gentiles. Now, I just have a question for you. We have the Apostle Paul, Matthew, and Mark going on record saying Jesus is for everyone. Does it make sense that they would put Jesus in a light that he was not really aware of what he was doing? There must be something else going on here as they present Jesus very clearly from the very beginning, always intending to reach out to Gentiles as well as Jews to say that he's open to everyone. Now, I get it that reading this just feels uncomfortable. I think that when we go back through it, I can maybe put some things in a new light and you'll never see this story the same again. Let's go back and walk through it and let's challenge our assumptions here because my take on this, just as we're going through it, is that Jesus knew from the very beginning what he was going to do. There was no way that lady was leaving without her daughter getting healed that day. Maybe the people who needed their assumptions challenged wasn't Jesus. Maybe it was his disciples. Maybe it was the early church. Maybe the early church was kind of, and Jesus already knew before it ever even started that the people who gathered in his name were gonna have a hard time accepting Gentiles in. Maybe he even looks 2,000 years later and sees us and realizes we might have a challenge or two accepting everyone into his church. Let's go through the story again. This Gentile woman, this is Matthew 15, 22, who lived there came to Jesus pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter's possessed by a demon that torments her severely. First question. Jesus is obviously in a different country now. He's trying to get out of a little bit of heat that's down in Israel and Galilee. How does a foreign woman even know to come to Jesus in the first place and ask for help? You might say, well, Jesus at that point was probably so famous that people all over knew that he was healing people. Maybe, but there's something more here. It's very interesting where Jesus actually went. This is not the first time a man of God has gone into this region, this Gentile country. So from the time of Jesus, if you go backwards 800 years to the time of the prophet Elijah, Elijah did the same thing. Things were getting very difficult for him in the country of Israel. There was a famine going on. It hadn't rained. The powers that be wanted to kill Elijah. So he escaped to this very same region now that Jesus is with this woman 800 years later. Elijah ran into another woman who was in trouble. She was a widow. She was gathering firewood to make a cooking fire for her to make one last loaf of bread for herself and her little boy. After that, they were going to starve to death because there was a famine there as well. 
But this man of God from Israel who represented the God of Israel in this foreign country did a miracle for this foreign woman. From that point on, she didn't run out of flour and she didn't run out of oil until the famine was over. Every day when she went to make more bread, there was always food for her kid and for herself. Can you imagine how they must have felt in that country? Because in that day, people always thought, you have a God that is the God of your country. And so the people in that Gentile area, they had their own pagan gods that they worshiped and they always thought of God as the God of Israel. But that God, through Elijah, has done this miracle for her. That was a story that got told generation after generation. It's like the opposite of a ghost story. It's like a grace story. So now, 800 years later, this woman once again sees a man of God who does great things come to her town, the same place that Elijah 800 years before had done a great miracle for a woman who was in a desperate situation and for her child. And this woman is thinking, maybe God of Israel will do that thing again in this place. And she's so insightful because she calls Jesus something that mostly Jewish people would have understood, son of David. That's a, that's a messianic tip-off. She like believes that he's actually something more than just a human being, that he's a man of God, maybe even the Messiah. So let's start with an assumption here that when Jesus ignored her, it wasn't because he didn't like her, it wasn't because he was on vacation and he couldn't be bothered to get off the couch and he just wanted her to go away. Maybe he needed to teach a lesson here and he was willing to let things linger and be a little bit uncomfortable. Verse 23, Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word, and the disciples urged him to send her away. Okay, so I have a challenge for you. Those of you who are a little bit more familiar with the Bible, did Jesus ever tell anyone to go away? Did his disciples ever tell anyone to go away? all the time. Like before this, remember there was this time, maybe you've heard this before, Jesus fed 5,000 people. What did the disciples say before they fed him? It's like in the afternoon, send them away, let them go find some food. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. How about the time that the parents were bringing their little children to Jesus to be blessed? What did the disciples say? Oh, no, no, no. Don't bother Jesus. He's busy. You know, and certainly keep the middle schoolers away from him, okay? This is, he's an important man, and we can't be bringing these kids to Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, let the little children come to me. I think when you look at Jesus seeming to ignore her here, he's trying to get a lesson across. And, but I understand that it would be, at, at first glance, to say, like, he just doesn't care. It's like that 911 operator a few years ago. It was her last day of work before she retired. A call came in. A woman had driven into a flood water, and she was panicking. The 911 operator told her, you shouldn't have driven into flood water. And the woman is now panicking, and she says, there's people on their balconies watching. And the woman said, well, why are they not going to put their life in jeopardy to come help you? It was your dumb idea to drive in in the first place. Then the water started coming in the car, and the woman started screaming, you got to get help here. And she said, I don't know your location. You won't tell me. And she said to the woman, literally, she said, you got to shut up. That woman drowned. And this 911 operator now has that on her conscience for the rest of her life. She said, it's not a criminal. But man, and it's, I think it's easy to look at Jesus and go, like, he just doesn't care. He can't be bothered. He's, he's got more important things to do than deal with this woman and her daughter who shouldn't have been playing with Ouija boards to begin with. She didn't want to be demon-possessed. You know how we get, right? We get kind of judgy. That's not what's going on here. I want you to look at this from Jesus' perspective. Just try for a second to open your eyes to a God who loves everyone. 
He sees this woman who's clearly an outsider. He sees his disciples who are judging her. He sees that this message that he has is for everyone, but he has to convince his own followers first that he's not just for a special few people, that he's for everyone. He's willing to let a little tension hang in the air so that they will get a lesson that they will never forget. Listen to this in verse 24. Jesus said to the woman, no, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. And one way of hearing that is, God's for some people, special people, and you're not one of them. Or is Jesus simply saying out loud the thing that all the disciples were thinking in their head? He's putting it out there so that he can slap it away. And this woman is amazing. There's not a moment of hesitation there. She wants to respond. But I want to clear this up once and for all that Jesus really didn't care about her because he was a Gentile. So this is Matthew 15. Go back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. This is before this, in time. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in great pain. A Roman officer, a Gentile. And Jesus said, I don't have time for that. Go away. Is that what he said? Let's just read this together. Jesus said, I will... Come and heal him. Oh, I see how it is. So he'll heal a Gentile as long as it's a man. I get, okay, now he's a misogynist. He hates women. No. It's always been Jesus' idea that he's for everyone. Jesus cares about everyone. It's clear that this is something that the disciples need to learn. They just don't get it. So verse 25, she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. I think Jesus knew this woman is not going to stop until she gets help for her daughter, and Jesus was counting on that. He knew that she would fight until she got what she needed from him, and he needed her to do that. I want you to go see this, that Jesus just loves it when people are persistent and won't give up in asking God for help. Uh, If you're in Matthew, just go over two more Gospels to Luke, and we're going to be in uh, chapter 18. This is a story that Jesus told on a different time. I want you to hear this. Verse 1. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should what? Always pray and never. Kind of like this lady. There was, he, Jesus, this is an imaginary story. It may have been based on reality, but Jesus tells this story. There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. And of course, so he's a judge. Verse three, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, look, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm gonna go see she gets justice just because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And then here's the point of the whole story. The Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The obvious assumption is no, he will not. I tell you, he will grant justice to them and quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? Have the gumption and the trust to ask for help? Like this woman Pastor Robert Smith Jr. points out, Lord help me isn't very much of a prayer. Like if your pastor prayed, Lord help me, and that was all, you'd be like, where's the rest of the prayer? I think I paid for more than that. (laughs) Long prayers are the luxury of people who are not in desperate times. 
And when you need help, when your car's filling up with water, you don't have time for Lord, you are omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, you are from beginning to end, you are awesome, you're amazing, you're, you, you got time for help. <laughs> and that's where this woman is at, and God answers those kinds of desperate prayers. But the question is, do you even trust God enough? Do you have enough faith to even ask him? Do you have enough faith to persistently ask him even when you don't feel like you're getting an answer? Now let's go ahead and get on in here. This lady is asking persistently, which Jesus loves. And this is where things get awkward. Jesus said it's not right to take the kids' food and throw it to their dogs. In essence, he's just called her a dog. The food, the, the miracles for the people of Israel given to Gentile dogs. And that's actually how Jewish people referred to Gentiles. Because Jewish people didn't really like dogs. Now, taken out of context, and certainly in the English language, this just sounds like an insult. But what we're not really privy to is what it sounded like in the original conversation, in the original language, and in the original culture. Jesus knew something about this Gentile woman, which, by the way, is still true of us Gentiles today. 2,000 years ago in the Greco-Roman world, they loved their dogs. We still do. People would actually get tombstones for their dogs. Archaeology has found these tombstones engraved for pets. One of them had an inscription on it that said, I'm as sad today carrying you here as it was like 15 years ago, carrying you to my home as a puppy. They love their dogs. Who doesn't? So when Jesus says this, he knows that when he starts talking about dogs and kids, he's got our attention. And here's something else we miss in the language here. There are a lot of bad words for dog. We know some of them today. Jesus didn't use any of them. If I could really just put it clearly, what he said is, we don't, mom, we don't take the kids, the little, little babies' food and give it to their puppies. Do you know what she heard when he said dogs? She saw this, little cute little Labrador retriever puppies and beagle puppies. Just little, that's what she heard. She wasn't insulted at all. She got exactly what he was saying and It's almost like Jesus knew, I can let this tension hang with this woman because she's gonna hang with me. He could throw hard conversational points to her because he knew that she would do well with it. I know this sounds a little rough, but she handled it just fine. It reminds me like when I was a kid and my sister and I, I played baseball and my sister played softball. And uh, I wasn't very good at baseball. My sister was and is really good at softball. She's two years younger than me. So when we'd go out and play catch in the yard, You think about what you're doing when you're playing catch. You're throwing a hard object really hard at someone. That would be like violence in any other context, but this is just playing catch. And I never had to worry about how hard I threw the ball towards my sister because she's going to catch it. I had to worry about how hard she threw it at me. (laughs) But conversationally speaking, Jesus didn't have to worry about how hard he threw these. He's really talking to his disciples more than this woman. But listen to her response. She said, man, that's true, Lord. We don't throw the kids' food to the dogs, but even the dogs get to eat the scraps that fall off the table. Besides, you know that little kid's feeding the dog on the sly anyway, right? You know what she's saying? I know I'm a Gentile. I know I'm not part of the insider crew of you Israelites. I know that I've grown up not worshiping your God, but you are a man of God. You are here right in front of me. I've seen this happen once before for my people Hundreds of years ago when Elijah, the man of God, came here, and I know that you are a good man, and I know you can do this. I'm here. Help my daughter. And in verse 28 is where we get the real feeling that Jesus has for this woman. What does he call her? Go ahead, say it out loud. Dear, dear woman. 
he really, really liked her. He really cared about her. He cared about her daughter deeply. He didn't want her daughter to go through one more moment of being possessed by Satan. There's no way that lady was leaving without a healing for her daughter. She had so much faith, and this is the point that Jesus wanted to get across. Man, you just come to God. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, he's there for you. To really reinforce how Jesus felt, that this woman didn't have to change his mind, immediately after this, Jesus goes out and he heals a man who's deaf and dumb, and he was a Gentile. Jesus goes out and he feeds 4,000. And you're like thinking, no, Brian, that was the feeding of the 5,000. No, the feeding of the 5,000 already happened. That was 5,000 Jewish men and their families. There was another feeding. The feeding of the 4,000 was 4,000 Gentile men and their families. Jesus has always been ready to open the door. Now, sure, the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ was first of all for the people of Israel, but that was God's plan from the beginning. All the way back in the beginning in Genesis, he started with Abraham, and through the Jewish people, it was God's intention to bless the whole world. And so it starts with Israel, but it doesn't end there. And Jesus is opening the door and saying, anyone and everyone who wants to come in can come in. What Jesus is trying to say is, with me, Outsiders become insiders. The people that you think are so far from God that they can never have a chance with God, they've got a place at the table along with the original insiders. That's what God does. This story is the truth about how God feels about you and how he feels about me. And you may feel like you're so far from God you may even be coming to church and you, you know, you're doing the right things, but you just feel like you're so far from him that there's no way that God really would accept you. And I want you to think again about that. There may be some people in your life that you think they're so far from God that there's just no hope for them. But I want you to know God brings outsiders and he makes them insiders. And he takes you from where you are to where you need to be. And I want to challenge you with this. I want you to think about this. Are you as welcoming, if you are a Christian, as your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is. Because what Jesus will tell us as his church is, how dare you come into the family, how dare you come into the house and experience the amazing grace and the love and acceptance and turn around and lock the door so that no one else can come in behind you. Connection, we're not that kind of a place. Anyone and anyone, everyone can come to Jesus. I like what Pastor Gene Apple says. We build bridges to broken messy people who are different than us. A gospel that isn't for everyone everywhere isn't for anyone anywhere. And I'm talking to a lot of you already are Christians, you're followers of Jesus, you've crossed that line. I want you to be thinking about the people in your life who are far from God. Do you have enough faith to pray that they would be open to Jesus? Do you have enough faith that Jesus could even convince the person you think of? There? I can't imagine in a thousand years that they would go to church, that with your prayers and your being open to seeing what conversation might happen, that maybe they'll be sitting in church next to you. I don't know, maybe you'll be in the baptistry immersing them into Jesus Christ. Can you pray that prayer and see that in faith happening? Here's my thing. I know there are some people who just seem completely closed off to God, but I think everybody, even if they seem to be hiding from God, want to be found. Nobody really, you ever play hide and seek? I don't know if you do now. Hopefully you don't, unless you're a kid, but I mean, you, know, you, ever, 
you ever been hiding so long? Remember last time you played that like nobody found you and you start making noise so that they will find? Nobody wants to be the skeleton in the basket that's the winner of last year's hide and go seek. <laughs> Everybody eventually wants to be found. And the person that you think is so closed off to God may be more open than you realize. There's something in them that God's trying to get their attention desperately. Do you have enough faith to invite, to share, to open the hard conversation, to just realize that Jesus is for everyone? Whether it's a Gentile woman whose daughter is possessed by a demon or a person who's just spent their whole life running from God. He's here for anyone and everyone. He's here for me, he's for anybody. I want you to reflect today about what Jesus has done in your life. And I want you to dream about what he could do if you'll just truly trust him. I want you to dream about what he could do in the lives of the people you care about if you will care enough to share him. Let's pray together now. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you are willing to let us be a little bit uncomfortable, to, to poke and to prod, to challenge our assumptions, to make us think, to make us realize just how good you are, how gracious and kind you are, how loving you are, that you will teach us to accept ourselves and others just as you accept us through you, to realize that when we submit to you, we find so many things change that we can never change on our own. I ask that you will open our hearts to the people around us who seem far from God, the people that, that just don't even seem like they're interested in you. I pray that you will help us to, to share your love, your message, your good news. And I ask today it will be a day where people who are letting something get in the way between them and you, that you'll just help them move that out of the way, to have courage to bring that to you. And we're so thankful for the freedom we find when we do that. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.